Hi everyone, thank you for joining and today we have only half an hour so we will immediately get started without any further ado and I fear that we have to start with very concerning news. There's a report of the UN's World Meteorological Organization and that is not the kind of happy news that I would like to share with you this summer as I had promised on numerous occasions that I would focus on the happy news. This news is not happy but it's so important that we have to focus upon it instead of what the world's media is focusing on, which seems to be about Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, Rihanna's baby, and Boris Johnson getting away with Partygate. So it's up to the Planet Podcast to remind you of the importance of this report. And with that, I would like to say good evening, Alistair. And what did this report say? And should we indeed be worried about this World Meteorological Organization report that just came out? Good evening, Alex. Yes, thanks for thanks for being thanks for inviting me. Or good 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 morning, good evening. Yes, good evening from here. I'm in the south of England. Um, so yeah, indeed, we've had this big report from the UN's weather agency this week, the the World Meteorological Organization, which says um, that there were four key climate change indicators that broke records last year in 2021. A lot of these ones break records every year, I think, in the last few in the last few years. So, um, but uh, every time these things are piling up more and more, these these worrying signs of the changing climate. So there were the four things they highlighted: are greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere, sea level rise, the heat in the oceans, and ocean acidification. Those are four really, really worrying trends that we've been with the kick-started by human activities and causing planetary scale changes in the land, ocean and in the atmosphere. And these all have harmful and long lasting ramifications for sustainable developments and ecosystems. So just to quickly go through some of the four record breakers here, we've got greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere, uh, which they recorded in 2020, they reached a new high um, with an average of uh, 413.2 parts per million of carbon dioxide. That's up from about 280 uh, before the Industrial Revolution when we started churning out fossil fuels and burning oil and coal and gas and spewing uh, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And they went up even though, of course, fossil fuel use fell during the pandemic by 5.6. And, you know, 4.5. 413 parts per million maybe doesn't sound very much, but it's only 0.04% of the atmosphere. But of course, even small concentrations can have bad effects. You wouldn't want that amount of um, polonium or arsenic in, in your drink, I suspect. I certainly wouldn't want it in my tea. And then sea level rise, of course. I, I've, I've written a book about this, The Great Melt. Um, but it, I, was, I was surprised by this number here. It says in the last decade to 2022, it rose by 4.5 millimeters um, uh, in that decade on average. That's an enormous leap. Uh, that's more than double 2.1 millimeters a year in the decade to 2002. But in the book that I wrote that came out only in October, I was using a number, I think, from the IPCC that said 3.9, if I remember right. It was below four at least. So now we're talking four and a half millimeters, um, which is really worrying. If it's doubled like that, there are some scientists, um, Jim Hansen, uh, formerly of NASA, has sometimes said that sea level rise could double every decade. 
And if it starts doing that, you're talking about meters of sea level rise uh, into the into the next century. Um, you know, and of course, if we keep up at this rate, even four and a half millimeters a year is 45 centimeters um, in in over a century. That's um, that's quite a lot. You know, a foot and a half. Um, I'm trying to imagine that in front of me on my laptop. It's taller than my laptop. Um, so uh, it's pretty worrying. Then, of course, ocean heat was the third one that they highlighted. That's also reached a, a record high. Um, and the oceans are getting warmer and warmer and warmer, though you wouldn't notice it here in Lyme Regis in the south of England, where <laughs> it's only the hardier going in the sea. I, I promise I'll, leave, I'll go for a swim before we leave here, but it's only about 15 degrees in the water here at the moment. But and ocean heat, you know, you've never really been able to track the heat in the oceans because it's just too difficult, you know. Um, before you've had ships with thermometers and things, and but in recent years, scientists have deployed these things called Argo floating measuring stations that that can sink down to two thousand meters and measure the temperatures as they go down, and they rise up to the surface again and they they transmit the the temperatures that they've recorded at these depths. So now you know the 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 water is heating up, especially close to the surface. Um, and there are you know the rising heat is is measured in zeta joules, which is just an unimaginably huge amount of energy. And then finally, the the one that they talked about reaching a record is ocean acidification, because um, the ocean absorbs about twenty three percent of all man made CO two from the atmosphere. So it, it slows the concentration of CO two in the atmosphere, but it it reacts with seawater and reduces the the alkalinity of the ocean and pushes it towards being an acid, well, acidification. So now it's going at record rates. Um, this all means that, uh, you know, if you've got a crab or if you're a crab or a lobster or a shellfish, you can't build your protective shell so well in, in more acidic waters. It just, the acid just which eats away at your body. So you just can't do this. And that, that of course, means you get messed up in terms of... Um, the, the whole uh, ecosystems and the sea could be under threat from this from this from this trend that messes up the um, the food web. So yeah, worrying news, Alex. <laughs> yeah, lots of worrying news. I mean, also worrying. Suppose you are a shellfish, you know. So if if you have uh, chalk in your bathroom on on do you call that a faucet where the water comes out? You use acid to get rid of that uh, that chalk, and it's that's the, the same kind of material, the same structure that these animals built their shells of. So for them, swimming in more uh, more acid water than it used to be, it's not acid yet, but it more acidified uh, water uh, than it used to be, is basically you're dissolving yourself in in whatever you're swimming in, and. I think these numbers are stunning. I think of numbers that you just mentioned, the one of four and a half millimeters a year, just, just I fell off my chair when I just hear, heard yeah, this number. Too. Because yeah. uh, one of these things that I notice in working on climate change for so many years is that I, within my lifetime, within, within less, you know, within periods like five or 10 years, I just see the change. So... When I started to get active on climate change issues, I spoke about two millimeters a year. And I remember at a certain moment that I mentioned that it was now like three millimeters a year. And I said, wow, that's a 50% increase in just my living memory of just the past 10 years or so. And now we are from the two millimeters to four and a half. That is just, 
you know, for somebody coming from a country that is that's called the, the, the low countries, um, that is that is deeply, deeply worrying. Imagine, you know, all the big rivers of Europe to seem to end up in my country. And so you have all this water in a river that reaches the sea, but then the sea is higher. So the, the, the river first has to has to to become itself much higher and wider and forceful before it can offload in the sea that is higher every year. And then also the number of 413 ppm. Uh, I was born at 315 ppm. So nearly, we're just missing two points. But basically in my lifetime, we've grown 100 parts per million for a rate that in normal time should be anywhere between 180 and 280 parts per million. In normal times, I'm referring to like the past millions and millions of years it was always between 180 and 280. And then I was born at 315, which was already too high, but nobody got worried. And then a full jump of 100 points on top of that. And that is the measure of the temperature on Earth. If there's just one way that you can securely say, going back in the past, where you compare CO2 levels with temperature levels, because we can calculate what the temperature was in the past, depending on some kind of uh, oxygen, um, special oxygen molecules that we find in the ice. You can see that there's one consistency. As soon as CO2 goes up, uh, we see the temperature is going up. So it's going to get really hot on this planet. And this should be deeply, deeply worrying. And I love it that Rihanna got a baby, but why does the baby of Rihanna that hasn't done anything in our life get more attention than our planet that is getting horribly hot? And uh, yeah, so I understand that the Secretary General um, is at least one of the few people in the world that is important enough that really does get <laughs> worried about it. And yeah, he spoke about um, uh, five critical actions that the world, uh, the world needs to take to prioritize now to transform our energy systems because ultimately the problem that we are talking about is an energy problem more than anything else. You could talk about agriculture, you could talk about all kinds of other aspects that play a role, but basically it is our enormous demand for energy uh, that is making um, the change so um yeah, maybe while I have the floor, let's continue for a moment. Um, and and uh, I don't want to make this a long monologue, but but let's briefly go into these uh, these points. Um, so he says that um, you should make renewable energy technology a global public good for the very simple reason that this uh, renewable energy technology. So think about windmills and 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 the technology for solar panels, etc should be available to all uh, and uh, so think also about battery storage and all kinds of of, of energy from from renewables um, that should be shared with everybody and the second point that he mentioned is that uh, we should improve the global access to components and to raw materials and so we need a robust supply of renewable energy components um, because without that, we will we will never get uh, to the level of renewable energy that uh, that we really need. And another thing that he mentioned is that uh, for these renewable energy technologies, you need a level playing field. 
And you see that while global cooperation and coordination is, is critical, that domestic policy framework works must urgently be reformed uh, to streamline and to fast track renewable energy projects and to, to catalyze private sector investments. And again, as I have said in so many of these podcasts and that Alistair has also mentioned so often in, in previous podcasts, you need governance to solve these kind of problems because our world has become so small and so crowded with people. We're so on top of each other. We're all making use of a limited resources that are available that the only way that you can you can solve these kind of problems is to work together and for working together you need governments because you need to make you know you need to make deals between each other on how you are going to to divide uh, everything that is available so i know that there's a lot of people in the world that say we need less government but that is nice for you know the good old days when there were still enough for everything and everyone but now we are in a situation that there's not not enough food if you don't have enough food on the table or if you don't have enough energy or if you don't have enough water you need to make some kind of appointment appointments with each other on how you're going to do this you may, you need to make some deals so take for instance take the western part of the u.s where there's not enough water that is typically an area where there's quite a few states where all the voters and all the politicians are screaming at each other that they don't need governance. But yeah, wish them luck in trying to divide water between those states if you don't have proper civil servants and proper government. So uh, you find me on that side if the debate on the debate if we ever go back there. Then the fourth thing that um, uh, the Secretary General of the UN is saying that uh, we should, should shift energy subsidies from fossil fuels to renewable energy. And yes, of course we should. We are in the absurd situation on this planet that we spend five to six times as much government, therefore taxpayers' money, on subsidizing fossil fuels, which is the thing that is killing us. That is the thing that makes this planet so hot and unbearable. And we're subsidizing it five to six times as much as we are subsidizing the thing that's going to save the planet. This is an absurdity that can only be stopped by making sure that those minority groups in the world that are the extremely rich minority, not the typical minority you think on, the extremely rich people in the world, like the Koch brothers or the remaining Koch brother, I should say nowadays, it is these kind of people that have an interest that we keep ruining the planet because it makes them richer. And they don't give a damn for the lives of all the people that are ruined by climate change. And it is um, essential that we take away their influence on politics and that politics is judged and is, is steered by the people instead of by the money and the money interest. So the last thing, the Secretary General, by the way, what I was just saying was my opinion, not that the Secretary General takes these kind of words when he's speaking in the UN. And the last one that the Secretary General of the UN was saying is to triple investments in renewables, which is also a no-brainer. I think tripling is uh, actually a very modest uh, uh, aim. I think it should be way more. Um, having said all that, sorry, Alistair, for taking the floor so long. I give it all That's back great. to you. What is, by the way, the impact of all this climate change? Thank you. So, so yeah, there were stories in the media this week of um, people who'd bought 
houses in um, North Carolina's Outer Banks on a on a street called Ocean Drive. Now, if you know that sea levels are rising by four and a half millimeters a year, there might be a hint in the word Ocean Drive that it's a bad place <laughs> to buy a house, especially when it's on the Outer Banks. And there have been these extraordinary videos this um, on YouTube showing houses being washed away into the sea. Um, the, the, one of them was bought by a guy, sadly, who's paid um, half, uh, just over half a million dollars for a four-bedroom waterfront home in August. Uh, Ralph Paltricelli and his, um, and his sister, they had great plans for their vacation home on this spit of land in the middle of North Carolina's Outer Banks. When you look at the, the, these, these um, wonderful-looking houses, they're, they're on long stilts, and they're like huge um, boxes, box-shaped houses, wonderful-looking places, four-bedroom waterfront, two, de- two, legs of de- two levels of decks, and just fabulous views out over the, over the ocean. And Patricelli envisioned it as an ideal spot to welcome friends and family after two years of the pandemic, the Washington Post wrote. And so, you know, they planned to have the Thanksgiving gathering in the home after the season's last renters departed. But then, you know, this this last few days, the a storm hit 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 the region, and his house just swam away into the sea. There's this extraordinary video on online. I think it's a house down the road from his, um, which you can see on YouTube. The waves batter the stilts on which the house is standing, and it suddenly just collapses uh, into the into the sea. It, it breaks loose and, and 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 it starts floating away. And you think this is this must be deliberate. This must be some sort of ship being launched. But in fact, it's, it's somebody's house, and it's it it's it moves out to the sea a little bit in the video. But the waves come bashing against it, and it's clear this isn't a ship at all. This is this is somebody's house, and it's tragic. But it's it's also sort of, um, you know, it's also kind of grimly amusing at the same time. And I really do not understand why people are buying houses along this along this along this coast coastal uh, strip where you know your house is likely to go down like a doomed ship when the when the stilts get washed away. Um, just battered by the waves and it breaks these houses just breaking up when they break loose so you know people love oceanfront homes especially in the united states americans continue to flock to disaster prone areas of the country but you know there are growing risks of floods fires other catastrophes and sea level rise and storms and heat waves making places hotter even places that once seemed relatively free of risk could face more serious health threats in in the in the future um, so, you know, we've got all sorts of things going wrong. Um, and of course, this is just a minor incident compared to what's happening in Eastern Africa right now. Again, as you're pointing out, Alex, this is far away from um, celebrities having babies or arguing with each other in court about who's the, um, who's, who's the abuser. And it's far away from the spotlight in the media. So, you know, let's let's put the spotlight for a minute on East Africa, where has helped fuel a devastating drought that's already ravaged populations strained by the by the pandemic and cr- conflict. So there are an estimated three million livestock, um, cattle, goats, and so on, have been killed, and harvests have been destroyed. Every forty-eight seconds, a person is estimated to be 
that's dying of starvation in Ethiopia, Somalia and Kenya, according to a report by Oxfam and Save the Children. That is absolutely horrendous. Um, this is the worst drought that these countries have faced in 40 years, said Leah Lindsay of Oxfam America. And she sort of links it to, as we see, greenhouse gas emissions increasing. The severity of extreme weather events is also getting worse, like drought, she points out, and the WMO as well, of course, in that report. So aid agencies are warning that the populations could face famine across Somalia, Kenya and Ethiopia. 23 million people are confronting acute hunger. Half a million people are living under famine-like conditions. Um, you know, these are terrible things going on. You know, we can somebody's house is washed into the sea in, in the United States, but this is a truly disastrous, awful um, calamity we're facing in, in East Africa. Yeah, just looking at these, these stunning numbers, I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of getting angry, um, which is maybe a harsh word, but that's, we in the Western media focus on Rihanna's baby instead of, you know, 23 million people are confronting acute hunger in the east of Africa. Where is that in the news? Where, wh why, mm. why don't we hear about it? Why isn't there like, you know, massive aid going in that direction? This is a planet where you know, in, in, in a day, you can just fly around this planet. Everything is connected. These people that are 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 hungry, they know that in a few hours flying away from them, you know, people live the lives that we live. And, and you just don't don't hear about it. I mean, I wasn't aware of this this number of 23 million. I had no idea that it, amazing, it was yeah. this big. And, yeah, you have to find it in some specialist article and I'm sure that by far most of the listener, people listening to this, this program aren't aware of this for the very simple reason that this is not on, on, you know, in the main articles of New York Times or the Washington Post or The Guardian or whatever proper newspaper we are reading. Uh, if you're listening to this program, I'm sure that you get your news from those kind of sources and not from Fox News. And <laughs> if you then look at what is happening in India, this this absurd record shattering heat wave that is taking place in India and Pakistan and in South Asia that has just reduced the, the wheat yields. It, it has been raising questions now about how a country like India with like a billion people is going to balance its domestic needs with also its ambitions to increase exports, which they have to do because of this absurd, brutal and cruel invasion of Russia into Ukraine, which is you know, the former breadbasket of the Soviet Union and certainly still the uh, weed basket for the rest of the world. And um, so we have an absurd war going on. Wars are always absurd, but this one is, is, is worse in absurdity than others. And uh, then that combined with the problem of climate change that doesn't get enough attention in the media, as we've been saying on and on in, in, in this, this uh, podcast. And we see those impacts everywhere. You see it in the United States. You see it now in Europe where this enormous heat wave is developing. It's 44 degrees Celsius in Spain and it is mid-May. We're not in, in August or something. We're in mid-May and it's 44 degrees um, 
in Spain, and I guess for some people that will at least change their uh, the holiday plans. At least it's something that uh, is my personal concern now, uh, which is the least of our worries compared to the numbers that we are just just mentioning about. You see now, for instance, in in uh, India's capital, in New Delhi, that there's enormous landfills that uh, have just caught fire, and there are schools in in uh, in eastern India that have been been shut now um, and other stocks are stocking up oral rehydration salts for kids because otherwise they they just they simply you know suffer too much from the situation people don't have air conditioning uh, at least many don't and the people that do are using putting the air conditioning now so high that there's an extra energy demand and of course we're talking about fossil fuel energy so we have a full a circle of um, of the problems that we are we are dealing with, and uh, this problem is not new. I mean, I wish this was a reason a heat wave, but it already started in March, and uh, it was the hottest month of March ever recorded in India, and they've been recording for more than 120 years now. And it has stunted the crops. So because wheat is, is typically a, a crop that is really sensitive to heat, and especially in really the final states when, when the kennels are maturing and ripening. And the Indian farmers, they, they time their planting in such a way that normally this state coincides with India's usually cooler spring. And that is typically a problem that uh, India is experiencing more than in many other countries, that it's not just the temperatures going up, but it's also that the reliability of the monsoon system that you, you used to know basically on, let's say, on about a week uh, be earlier or later, you could say this is when the monsoon is starting. But now you have sometimes that monsoon is 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 more than a month, either too soon or too late. So it becomes impossible to to do uh, your planning. And now climate change has made the heat wave in India hotter. Um, uh, it it is that uh, heat waves uh, like this, like you see now, would normally have struck India about once in half a century so let's say twice per century uh, but now it's it's become a much more common event it's no longer once in 50 years but it's now like every four years and an an economy and especially the 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 more vulnerable the more poorer people in the in the economy the ones that also rely on agriculture they can't deal with a shock like this every four years so this is just in in this broadcast, and we promised that we would keep it short, but we we traveled all over the world in this broadcast. We've we've spoken about uh, Europe, we've spoken about the US, we've spoken about India, we've spoken about Eastern Africa, and everywhere you see the same pattern that uh, the devastating impact of of climate change. We've seen in the WMO report that just came out that all kinds of really important essential indicators are breaking records at, at the moment. And we've also seen that all of these things hardly get any attention in the media. We are not focused on the big problem. And it's just, we, we need governments that take action where action should be taken and when actions um, should be taken. So, yeah, with that, Alastair, some last thoughts because we have a few more minutes and then 
I let you go because I know that you have an appointment and I got other things on my mind too. But um, I, I sure, guess sure. these were some main messages to focus on. These were the main messages. Perhaps I could briefly mention a, an uplifting story that we've had here in the south of England in the last few days, which is that they discovered, scientists have discovered that sea scallops, um, which are bay scallops or sea scallops that live in the live in the they're like shellfish right they're about this large shellfish which have look like a fan um they like discos it turns out so they've stumbled fishermen have stumbled across this extraordinary thing where the they put lights inside the 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 nets not the nets but the the traps that they use for catching lobsters and crabs to see what effect this has and a combination of flashing green and yellow lights attract sea scallops. And sea scallops sort of squish themselves along by, by squirting out water behind them, uh, behind themselves, and they are attracted towards this light, and they end up being caught in these, in these, in these traps. And it's actually, you know, for, 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 for fishermen, fishing, the fishing fleets, that is great news. And indeed for the seabed, that's also great news because you normally catch, catch. I don't know if you catch them or you fish them or you whatever scallops, you harvest them from the seabed uh, by, by, <laughs> by dredging. So you're often scraping up the seabed uh, with a big net and you're behind a trawler and it's collecting pretty much everything, but it's also scouring the seabed. Um, and it's but it's catching these uh, and to catch uh, the scallops. But now they've discovered this way that flashing disco lights attract them as well. So you know you can increase your harvest in a sustainable way. And maybe who knows? Maybe these scallops are having fun. We don't really. Nobody knows. It's a mystery as to why the the lights, uh, the flashing lights, uh, might attract them. Uh, it's it's very strange. Nobody, nobody's. It's a total mystery. I don't know if any if the listeners have got a good theory about that, or if we, you know, who knows? Maybe it's just the disco. Maybe they have to put on disco music as well to see if that works as well. <laughs> I think this is an amazing story. But being a vegetarian, I, I just uh, think it's, 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 it's. <laughs> It's not very kind towards the scallops to actually to to catch them, collect them, or whatever, and to to kill them. I think they we should just leave all animals alone. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, at least they go out with a bang. They have the impression that they they are on their way to some kind of nineteen eighties disco uh, with all <laughs> kinds of colorful lights. Um, and uh, that's the way I guess um, I guess our generation grew up in the dancing in all kinds of colorful lights uh, and, and, and pretty bad music. <laughs> Luckily <laughs> was, it was dark, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, then when you had to go home, they put on the normal white lights, which was a killer at four or five o'clock in the morning, and we all looked awful, and then we quickly went back home. Um, those were the good old days, so maybe those scallops have a bit of a uh, bit of that party mood uh, before they are uh, they're all being eaten. I guess that's what you do with scallops to eat them, unless they were harvesting them for the for the chalk. Um, I don't uh, don't really know all the all the details there. Um, yeah. Thanks, guys. We promised that we could call it. Um, we we would keep it uh, really short. Uh, thanks uh, so much for uh, listening. Um, Tomorrow, I will start a period of, I think it's 120 days that I will be away from uh, from Ottawa. And uh, I have a lot of plans and they are constantly changing. 
Um, they actually changed a lot this morning as well. Um, but since I didn't share them with anybody, uh, nobody really knows what I'm changing. And I normally don't make a habit of telling where I'm going. I normally tell afterwards where I've been. Um, but anyway, tonight I will just uh, start to uh, to pack my backpack and um, and go off and um, and I'll I'll tell you on social media where I'm hanging out. Or I might do that in uh, in the podcast uh, that I'll do, which will probably be one on uh, Sunday at about uh, five o'clock uh, in the afternoon, which I try to do as the the kind of short monologue uh, that I've been doing in the past uh, past two months. I have no idea what I'm going to talk about on Sunday, but if you're interested, uh, please. Please join and listen. And then, of course, on Monday at 11 o'clock, again, Eastern Time, uh, I will have the meeting with um, uh, the podcast with Vanessa Champion. And our theme will be um, pop music about environmental issues. So which pop songs have made us more aware of uh, the environmental problems in the world and which are the best pop songs. I don't think that uh, we are allowed to play those songs because then you get all kinds of copyright things, but I think we are allowed to talk about them. Uh, and I will dive into the copyright uh, aspects uh, to see if we, I, I'm pretty sure actually we can't play them. So you have to look them up yourselves on, uh, on Spotify, but actually that will be the theme that we will talk about. Uh, I guess that is going to be um, a fun subject uh, to talk about. Uh, for the last moment, I look on uh, the comments. I see, yeah, uh, Sharon has an excellent plan for the scallops. We should play really sad music. So I would say a requiem for the scallops uh, should be played. My favorite is the one of Faure, but there's at least 10 of them. Uh, that I have on my shelves, but um, for those that don't know, the Requiem of Faure is fantastic. Um, just look it up and, and listen to it. And Evelyn thinks that is a good plan. And Joshua Sounds spoke right. about yep. polonium. Be careful. Um, yes, and thanks again, uh, Joshua, for <laughs> yes. uh, for always being here and always. What's having your tea? Yes, good punch. Yeah, don't don't put it in your tea. And um, uh, <laughs> same as arsenicum or whatever else you were you were mentioning. With that, we're going to end. Uh, hope to see, hear, read you all again on uh, on this Sunday, 5 o'clock. Thanks so much for joining and I hope to see you all then. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.